Well, praise the Lord. It's been a good day. I believe if it doesn't rain today, it's going to miss a good opportunity. So, if you came in and didn't get wet, that's like, you know, coming in tonight and not getting wet is like living all your life and never getting a scar. You just hadn't lived. And I don't believe you was outside if you didn't get wet in this rain. <laughs> but, uh, well, it's been good, been good to be here today and appreciate the Lord's blessing and all He's done for us. And would you turn in your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Philippians chapter number 4. The book of Philippians chapter number 4. Now, if you want to know where Papua New Guinea is, Papua New Guinea lives with Mama New Guinea. So, <laughs> I tell you, Philippians chapter number 4, did you all hear about the guy that was, um, he was studying marriage customs, and I was thinking about about this when Brother Caleb was up here, marriage, studying marriage customs, and this one strange one probably came from Papua New Guinea. They, uh, they boil, they boil, I'm going to say it where everybody can boil, and I usually would just say boil, but boil a pig intestines, and they'd give a little pot to the bride and a little pot to the groom, and uh, during the um, wedding ceremony, she would give hers to him, to the, to the groom, and the groom would give his to her, to the bride, and they call that the, the exchanging of the wedding bowels. <laughs> I'm going to read my Bible because it gets worse from here. <laughs> Philippians chapter number 4. If you have your place, would you stand as we read the Word of God? We're going to begin reading in verse number 15, and we're going to read down to verse number 19. Philippians chapter number 4, verse number 15 down to verse number 19. Now, you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound, and I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Let us pray. Father, how we thank you for just the privilege that's ours to be here tonight. Thank you for the wonderful testimony that we heard just a little bit ago from the Wilsons. And thank you, Father, that you are still calling. If men would just respond, what a difference it would make. And I pray, Father, that even in this conference, you might even deal with folks who are here that they might see the need of reaching the world. They may not be called to go overseas, but they can go across the, the community and across the street. And so I pray, Father, you will be done. And Father, help us all to find our place in the vineyard and the harvest of God. And we thank you for all you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And you may be seated. You know, if you're going to get an example of what to do or um, how to do something, you want to do it from somebody that I, that I would think would be successful in whatever they do, because if they're not successful, why, you know, if they can't do it, why you want to learn from them? The example that the Apostle Paul is going to use in teaching us about faith promise, he, he gleans that and gets that from the church of Philippi. And as I mentioned this morning, there are three churches that are considered the churches of Macedonia, the church of Philippi, the church of Thessalonica, and the church of Berea. And uh, I have a message that I preach about those three churches because those three churches, when you put them all together, 
they represent what any church ought to be for the Lord, all three of those churches. Now, we're not going to get into that tonight. I don't have time to, do, uh, to talk about that. But when it comes to our giving, this is the church that you want to study. This is the church that you want to follow after because you know what? They did it. They did it. But what we're going to do this morning on, for Sunday school, we talked about faith promise, and uh, tonight we're going to end up by talking about faith promise. But what we're going to do tonight is we're going to talk about misconceptions about faith promise. I've heard people make the statement, preachers have made the statement, pastors have made the statement that faith promise does not work. Faith promise does not work. And so I'm going to share with you a couple of misconceptions or false ideas about faith promise and then share some thoughts. How many, how many hairs do I have? Three, amen. So I got four points, I mean three points tonight, and I hope it will be a blessing to you. When I think about um, misconceptions and, and I think about faith promise, I've got to take my glasses off so I can see my notes. That's pretty bad, isn't it? I used, I used to say the hair got in my eyes, but it really I can't read, you know. So they found out when I didn't have any else, anything to cover up, I still couldn't read. So I figured out what in my hair, my hair in my eyes that was doing that. But um, when you think about faith promise and, and what faith promise is all about, let me give you these two misconceptions. Number one, the first misconception is this. If you give faith promise, or as I said this morning, we don't have to use the term faith promise. You just call it your mission offering, but we'll use the, the term faith promise. If you give faith promise, you will never have financial problems. There are, there are pastors that have had uh, mission, uh, mission people come in, they, and the, they preach faith promise, they introduce faith promise, and they get faith promise going. And um, because in their mind, and they've said this, it doesn't work. Because we gave faith promise, but God didn't bless our church. We didn't have any more finances than we had before. And so a lot of people have the misconception that if I give my money to missions, then I or our church will never have financial problems. Never. Well, let me tell you something. That is a misconception. That is not a true statement. Let me give you another. Well, by the way, a lot of people call that religious lottery playing, you know. We're going to play the lottery by giving our faith promise and expecting to get a big return. Well, let me give you another one. Here's misconception number two. If God doesn't give it to you, talking about money, if God doesn't give the money to you, let's say, for example, you, uh, you, you told the Lord you're going to give $10 a week. Well, if God doesn't give it to you, then you are not obligated to give. By that, I mean that if, if it's not some strange or some unusual or some miraculous way that you get $10, even though you may have $10 in your pocket, unless it comes through some miraculous way, then you, you are not obligated to give your faith promise. Can I tell you, that is a misconception. That goes against the Word of God. Um, when I think about, and, and I call that a heavenly handout, you know, uh, we're waiting on God to give it, you know, uh, that's a heavenly handout. Now, when I think about faith promise, the thing that comes to my mind about my giving is expectation. What do I expect to get out of what I'm doing for God, whether it's my giving or my going, my witnessing, my preaching, my praying, my teaching, whatever I'm doing, what do I expect to get out of it? Because that will dictate, that will determine my 
my, in my own mind, my success or failure in what I've done. Just like I mentioned that pastor a little bit ago. He said, faith promise doesn't work at our church. We don't do it anymore. We just give 10% or 15, whatever percentage they give of all the offerings because faith promise doesn't, doesn't work. And if you come into giving faith promise with the expectation, well, I'm going to give it because I'm, I'm not ever going to have a financial problem or I'm going to give it and, and all these things are going to happen good for me, you know, then you come with the wrong expectation. You're going to end up and you're going to say that giving faith promise is a failure. So what is your expectation? Is it gaining earthly, monetary? Is it, get, is it gaining money? I, I call that in my notes here, Financial gain is internal investments because I am doing it for me, internal investments. Is that my expectation so that I can pad my billfold, that I can pad my bank account? Or is my, is my expectation the ability to reach people with the gospel of Christ? What is my expectation? So if missionaries are being sent out, if people are being saved, and that is my expectation, you can say, and I hope you understand I'm using this word success just because that's the word the world uses, then we can say that faith promise, it really does work because that is my expectation. I'm not looking for anything in return. I'm just doing what I feel God wants me to do in reaching the world with the gospel of Christ and sending missionaries around the world. So... That's the first one. Now, what about the second one where we just said, if God doesn't give it to you, then you're not expected to give. Well, here's the problem. According to the Bible in the book of Mark, chapter number 16 and verse number 15, the Bible says, and the Lord said unto them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Well, if God is going to give it to me before I give it, what if God never gives it to me? Well, that means that I'm not obligated to win anybody to God. I'm not obligated to support any missionaries if I just sit around and wait on God to give it to me. Well, that's not the way it works. Luke, 6, Luke chapter number 6 and verse number 38, the Word of God says, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, shall men give unto your bosom. For with what measure you meet, that you meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. So the Word of God tells me in my giving that I'm to give before God ever gives to me. Everybody that I use as an example, I talk about Hannah. She's a wonderful example of faith promise. I, I talk about the widow of Zarephath, a wonderful example, and of course talked about Abraham this morning. Every one of them, can I tell you, they gave their offerings to God, whatever it was, a meal in a barrel or a son or another son, whatever it was, they gave it, and then they saw God give it back. So if we have the wrong expectation about this thing of our giving, then I want you to know we're going to end up in a mess. If we sit around and we expect God through, through some miraculous way to give it to us, we're never going to do anything. If we don't give what we have to God, then God will never give to us to use it for greater things. So these misconceptions are there. By the way, can I tell you tonight that the command of God that God gave to us to go into, and to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, it, He didn't give that as a debate. He's the Lord. He's the Master. We are the servants. And when He gives an order, when He gives a command, you know what He expects? He expects it to be obeyed. He expects it to be followed. And so He didn't give it to us to debate. He didn't give it to us in order to make excuses of why we cannot do it. Here's what I believe. You know, a lot of times... Parents, we give our children orders, we give them things that, that uh, we expect them to do. 
Well, maybe because we don't know the situation, maybe they can't fulfill it like we think they should. But can I tell you, we got a God in heaven that knows everything about us. He knows our abilities. He knows our inabilities. He knows our shortcomings. He knows everything about us. And if he tells us to do something, that tells me that we can accomplish whatever God wants us to accomplish because he knows we're able to do it. Not only does he know our abilities, by the way, he gives me what is lacking in my life to be able to make up what I cannot do. Because this is the work of God and not the work of Dean Hamby. This is God's work. And so he gives me. It's not, we don't, he doesn't give us what we're to do. And then we start giving excuses. And, he's, and he surely didn't give it to us so that we could defy God and disobey God and rebel against God. He gave it to us. Now, I want you to turn in another portion of Scripture. Would you turn with me over to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter number 8. And if you want a parallel Scripture to go along with with um, with uh, Genesis chapter t- number 22 that we talked about in Sunday school, <clears throat> that would be over in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter number 8, where Paul is talking in these verses of Scripture about faith promise giving. Would you look with me in chapter number 8 of the book of 2 Corinthians, verse number 1 and 2? And we're not going to read the whole chapter for the sake of time, but in chapter number 8, verse number 1 and 2, the Bible says, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit or to know of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded into the riches of their liberality. Now, in that passage of Scripture, can I tell you what God did for the churches of Macedonia and in particular the church of Philippi? God gave them grace. One of the things that you and I need today as a human being, we need the grace of God and we need the mercy of God. After we're saved, we still need the mercy of God, but I also know we need the grace of God. I needed the grace of God to be saved and I need the grace of God to live for Him. I need the grace of God. And so these churches of Macedonia, the church of Philippi, the church of Thessalonica, and the church of Berea, God gave them what they needed to be able to fulfill what God had for them, the grace of God. So this evening, I want to share with you three things that the grace of God did for them. The grace of God did for them, as the Bible says in in 2 Corinthians chapter number 8 and verse number 1, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit. That word wit, which means, which means to know, you can know things by looking in a book. You know, we can study and know things by just by book knowledge. But it also means to know by experience. Experience. I like it when people, they do what God wants them to do and they experience. And so we do you to wit or to know the, of the grace of God, what God's grace did for the churches of Macedonia and in one of those being the church of Philippi. Number one, and we're going to look at verse number 17, the first thing that the grace of God gave to them and showed them and helped them, it showed them the possibility of eternal fruit. Look with me in verse number 17 of our text. We're going to look at verse 17, 18, and 19 for our three thoughts tonight. Verse number 17 says, Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. A lot of people say that we don't like to go to mission conference because all they do is talk about money. May I say that if that is all they hear, they have totally missed the point. We do talk about money. Yeah, missionaries do need money to live on. Yes, the missionaries come to your church. They're looking, they're seeking for support. But there's more for this conference 
than just your money. God wants you and everything about you. And so when Paul makes that statement, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account, the gift that he's talking about is the gift of money that he had just received. Look, if you would, in verse number 15. Now, ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from, from Macedonia, no church communicated with me. Now, he's not talking about getting a letter. He's not talking about getting a phone call. Look, here's what he, here's what he means by that. No church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, talking about money, but ye only. They're the only ones that supported him. Brother, how would you like to have one one supporting church, just one, and it didn't even come in regular. It wasn't even there most of the time. That's why in verse number 10 and 11, he is shouting glory, hallelujah, in verse number 10. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last year care of me hath flourished again. That word means to be revived again. It was on life support. But hallelujah, the support came in. I mean, one, one, he only had one. Nobody else gave him anything. Look at verse 16. For even in Thessalonica, you sent once and again into my necessity. Now, verse number 17, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. Now, when, when I said possibility, Paul is giving them, and the grace of God is showing them that they can have the possibility of eternal fruit. They gave Paul some money. But Paul said, because of the money that you gave to me, you've got the possibility. And the reason I use the word possibility is one little word in that verse of Scripture, verse number 17, which is the word may. May abound to your account. You remember, I talked this morning in Sunday school, I talked about that, that uh, the conditional, the unconditional promise that God gave to Abraham. God made it a, a condition inside of that because he has obligated me and you to take the gospel to them so that they can experience that free gift of salvation. So verse number 17, the little word may, is conditional. Did you know when I think about this gift, this, uh, this fruit, this eternal fruit that we can have, do you know what? It's not going to come by accident. It's going to come because somebody put forth some effort to do something for God. A deliberate effort. I'm telling you, when we think about a deliberate effort for God, look what he says back in verse number 16 again. He says this, For even in Thessalonica you sent once. Hallelujah, hallelujah for every single gift that people give. There's some people only do one gift, just one. Hallelujah, I'm glad they do. But can I tell you, this one gift, uh, Brother Cofield, this one gift, it can be just a whim. It can be just, you know, I just you know, in an emotion. But look what he says. He, sent, he said, you sent once. And I believe Paul was excited that he got the first offering. He probably thought, well, I've had a lot of other, a lot of other people just gave me one. A lot of churches just gave me one, and they're going to be like them. He said, you sent once. Now look at this next part. And again. When he put that and again on there, they didn't just send one. When he got the second, when he got the second support check, I believe the Apostle Paul had a running spell. I mean, once and again, when, when I look at that word again, you know what that is? That meant something deliberate had to happen. That meant they got, they got a hold of this thing. They understood, you know what? This is not just something that would be good for our church to do, and it'll just be, become another ministry of our church. Can I tell you what this means? This is the ministry of our church. This is what it's all about. This is what God expects out of us. And we're going to reach the world with the gospel of Christ. And they sent once and again, once and again. Now, we had a missionary this morning from South Dakota. He's from the, he, he, is, he is called to 
the third largest mission field in the world, the United States of America, right here. Did you know that where they sent this offering wasn't to Papua New Guinea? It wasn't halfway around the world. It was, only a, it was less than 100 miles down the road in the same place, in the same country. So can I tell you, it doesn't matter where the missionaries go, just as long as they go. We need people going, and we need people giving so they can go. But it takes a deliberate act. we got to do it. Nothing happens. Did you know if anybody's saved, there's nobody saved accidentally. They just, oh, it is, you know, I just woke up and I'm saved. No, somebody went to where they were deliberately, knocked on the door deliberately, shared the gospel deliberately, and they deliberately received Christ. It's the same way with our giving. It's got to be that way. But it's not only is it deliberate in our, in our giving, but can I tell you, there is an indisputable proof in our giving. Look what he says again in verse 17. Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound. And we know the fruit there is souls, people. But I desire fruit that may abound to your account. I love this. I've preached this, probably preached this, this one thought here before, but I'm going to give it to you again because of the message. When I think about this word account, and I love to look up what words mean in the Bible, this word account in our Bible is where we have, it's the word where we get also translated word. So he's saying, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. I thought, well, what is that talking about? Well, here's why. Did you know before you got saved or when you came to the Lord Jesus Christ, you needed somebody to speak up for you because you had an account, you had a debt that was due, and you couldn't pay it. And so the Lord Jesus spoke up for you because your account was overdue. But can I tell you, one day when we stand as God's children, we're going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ, and we're going to give an account to Him for our service to God. Have you ever been around people, and man, in just a heart's beat, you know, man, they're the greatest thing that ever walked on planet Earth, and God is so, so, so lucky. I'm going to use the word because, lucky because of a reason. God is so lucky to have somebody like me because before I got here, it just wasn't getting done. But here I am, Lord, and I'm on your team. Man, we're going to make it now. Have you ever been around people like that? I mean, it's constantly, I've done this and I'm doing that. You know, (laughs) makes your head spin. You know, when we get before the Lord Jesus Christ, we can talk all day long, but it's not going to make a bit of difference. Can I tell you what's going to do the talking for us? Our account is going to do the talking. So you don't have to worry about having to say, Lord, here's what I did, here's what I did, because there is going to be fruit. And can I, can I tell you tonight, I don't believe we really know how much fruit's going to be there. You, if you've led somebody to the Lord, or you've had part in, in somebody getting saved, because listen to me carefully, you don't have to be the one that took the Bible and led that person to the Lord to have part in somebody being saved. You give a track, a witness, pray, sin. You've had part in them being saved. And so you got fruit that's abounding to your account. So when you get on the other side and when you stand before the Lord, when we, and we stand before the Lord at the judgment seat of Christ, the proof of our faithfulness is going to be right there with us. That fruit. So we don't have to say anything to tell God how faithful we have been. The fruit is going to be there. But let me tell you something else that could be there, that if we're not careful, it will be there. 
when it's time for you to be judged and when it's time for me to be judged, there's either going to be a voice of our fruit that's going to speak up for us on our behalf or there's going to be nothing but total silence that is going to scream out for our unfaithfulness, our laziness, our lack of faith. Because sometimes silence is a whole lot louder than words. So what are you going to have when you stand before the Lord? Is there going to be fruit because you have, you have done your best? Maybe you didn't give as much as, and you couldn't give as much, and God didn't expect you to give as much as somebody else. Maybe you couldn't go as much as somebody else and knock at as many doors, but you did. I love it. I love, I love the story of, of Mary of Bethany. This young, young lady that had an alabaster box of ointment, unlike some of the Pharisees and the rich rulers and all that, these that could have come in and done so much more, she came and broke this little box of ointment and poured it on the feet of the Lord Jesus. I love what the Lord Jesus says as they're chewing her out, Judas leading the band, and they're chewing her out. Why, you know, waste of the ointment, man? Ah, the Lord said, let her alone. Man, when the Lord tells, tells people to leave you alone, you are going to be left alone. Listen to what he says. For she hath done what she could. Let me tell you how much the Lord thought of what she did. For what she has done, this that she has done, shall be spoken of for her for a memorial. Where the gospels preach? Yeah. Mary's, the story of Mary coming and breaking the alabaster box of ointment is going to be, going to be spoken about. So you do what you can. And there, I, I promise you, I promise you, you do what you can because you, if you sow, you will reap. And there will be fruit if you'll just do your part. So here we have the possibility of fruit, indisputable proof. But I'm also glad that it's individual reward. You know what? A lot of people are members of a good church like your church, and your, support, your church supports all these missionaries. You've got missionaries out of your church, and, and God has blessed your church. Your mission, your mission program here is just phenomenal, what God has allowed you to do. And there's members of your church, I dare say, that have never given a dime to missions. And they think, well, our church does this, and our church does this, and hallelujah, glory to God. And they've never given a dime. They've never done anything. They've never gone on, vis- gone on visitation. They've never done anything. When we stand before the Lord, just because you're a member of a soul-winning, mission-supporting, giving church, doesn't mean that you, who have never done anything, are going to get a reward. It is individual. Look what he says. Your account. He makes it personal. Personal. Your account. Your account. Number two. I only got, only got three. That's one. Number two. Grace gives them, verse number 18, the principle of sacrificial giving. Sacrificial giving. You know, when I look at verse number 18, let's read it. But I have all and abound, and I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. When I look at the last part of verse number 18, and he's talking about money. Oh, filthy lucre. But he compares it to the, the sacrifices of the Old Testament. Now, there is no way that you can compare money to the sacrifices of the Old Testament. There's no way you can, but he did in that verse of Scripture. And here's the reason why. He's not talking about the money, but he's talking about what was behind the money. And can I tell you, when men would give an offering in the Old Testament, 
and they would, they would bring this animal, they'd bring the offering to, men would look at the health and they would look at the wealth of that money or the, the value of that, of that of not the money, but of that animal. And here's, brother, I already was going to preach this before you made this statement, but I appreciate you making the statement. When, he's, when God told him that he was going to marry Miss Tabitha, he said, how much is this going to cost me? And every time that they would be taking an animal up to offer it at the tabernacle or the temple, you know what would be going through some of their minds? How much is this going to cost me? After a while, because it became inconvenient for them to take an animal up to Jerusalem, you know what, we got a good idea. We'll just go and buy our animal up there. We don't have to bring it all the way from home. So they said, you know what, let's make it even more convenient. We'll just sell them right here in the temple. We don't have to have them all over the town. Everything's going to be right there, one-stop shopping. We buy it, we sacrifice it, we go home. God bless us all, you know. But in their mind, how much is this going to cost me? How much? i got to find out the guy that's going to give me the best deal for my money if I'm going to buy this animal. How much is it going to cost me? So they look, and it's an examination. How much, but about the health, it's got to be good on that part of it. It's got to look good. But the cost, the wealth that's involved, how much is it going to cost? But can I tell you what God looks at? He doesn't just look at the health. God looks at the heart in the sacrifice. God looks at the worth. See, before they got married, he was looking at how much it's going to cost me. Can I tell you, he only had about 10% of the support when he, when he got married. Now, 65%, brother, you ought to give her a good, good bit of that chunk just for her. She's, she's the reason you're getting your support. You know, now he doesn't see the wealth, how much it's going to cost. He sees the worth, the value of his wife. And oh, I like that song. They say, hey, choir, I've never, I have never heard Whitfield Baptist Choir sing any better than y'all have sung today. I mean, you have mm, the value of one, the value of one, the value of one. What's it going to cost me if I go and knock on a door? What's it going to cost me to give out a track? What's it going to cost me to give? What's it going to cost me? But God doesn't see the money and the physical effort and the energy we expend. God looks at the value of it. What is the worth of one's soul? That's what God sees. And so, Paul, in verse number 18, this principle of sacrificial giving. You know what? I think about Epaphroditus. This word means dedicated to Epaphrodite, the, the goddess of the Greeks. He was named after this Greek goddess. But you know what? When he met the master, the power of God changed his life, and the love of God, it, it, it captured his heart. And here he was sacrificing his life to take this offering over to Paul. Paul gets it. But can I tell you, here's something that I, I wrote in my notes, that here's what they learned as, they were, as this thing of sacrificial giving. They learned that you cannot really sac separate sacrificial living and sacrificial giving. They learned that. Philippians, or 2 Corinthians chapter number 8, and verse number 5, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God, which is stowed, bestowed upon the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and deep poverty. See, that is that sacrificial living abounded unto the riches of their giving. That is the sacrificial giving. You can't separate the two. You cannot live one without the other. They go hand in hand. You live sacrificially, you'll give sacrificially. You give sacrificially, you'll live sacrificially. And so grace taught them that because my flesh can't teach it. My flesh wants it all for me and all for me and all for me. That's what it, what it does for them. 
So grace taught them that they couldn't separate it because living, living by faith doesn't mean you're going to be exempt from problems. That's that kind of church. That's why I'm glad he, uses, he used the, church of, uh, the churches of Macedonia to speak to our hearts about how we're to live. And giving by faith doesn't mean that we're going to be exempt from poverty. But can I also tell you that God doesn't, didn't make them rich. And here's the thing. Remember I told you one of our misconceptions that if I give, I'll never have a financial problem? Listen to this. God did not make them rich. But here's what God did. He made them to be able to keep on giving. That's what God did. He's not going to make us rich, but he's going to keep us. He's going to keep us giving and keep us giving and keep us giving. My last thought, and I'm done. Look, look at verse number 19. But my God, I love this verse, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Let me give you three thoughts. I got three thoughts. I'm praying that I get another hair tomorrow night. And we'll be here all night. Can I tell you about this verse of scripture? This is one of the most, one of the most wonderful promises in the New Testament for the child of God in our faithful service to God. I love this verse of scripture. Let me give you three things and we'll go eat. First of all, this is a definite promise. It's definite. There's no, there's no doubt about it. There's no maybes about it. It's definite. He says, but my God, here it is, shall supply. It's definite. It's definite as to its possibility of happening. You know what? It's going to happen. If you give, God's going to supply. It's also definite as to, to the potential of how much. But my God shall supply all your need. you got a need. I talked about this in Sunday school. you got a need. God will make sure that your need is met. Not a minute late, not a minute early. It will be met. It's definite to its, to its promise. But it's also direct in its promise, but my God shall supply all your need. Now, Paul wrote that verse of Scripture by inspiration of the Holy Ghost a long time ago. But can I tell you, it is still just as true today as it was the day that Paul pinned it down. God shall supply all your need. Who's he talking about? Again, God is looking at this church as a body of believers, this local church at Philippi, and he's looking down. But can I tell you what God does when God's looking at a group? He can pick out the trees in the forest. God does know each and every single person in the church who's faithful and who's not faithful. God knows. And so this verse of Scripture is directed, I mean, straight as an arrow to the heart of every one of those faithful people in that church. But my God shall supply all your need, pointing out the ones in the congregation who are giving, who are giving, who are giving, who are giving. And this promise is not a promise to just whosoever will like the, the promise of, of salvation. But this promise is directly, uh, directed only to those who are faithful to give. You don't give, don't you take this verse and claim it, because it doesn't matter how much you try to claim it, God will not honor it to you because you're not been faithful to him. So it's direct in its promise. Then last of all, it's divine in its promise. Divine. Look, look at this verse of Scripture. Here it goes, but my, here it is, God shall supply all your need according to, look at this now, his riches in, look, here it is, glory by, here it is, Christ Jesus. It is divine in its essence, in its nature. This promise, this promise is all wrapped up in God. I may tell you something that I can't fulfill, but this is God's promise. It's not man's promise. This wasn't, wasn't even Paul's promise. This was God's promise. 
all, it's all wrapped up in God. It begins with God, and it is backed up by God. That's what, it, that's what we have. But it's also divine in its execution. He says, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory. Now, look at this now. By Christ Jesus. You know, Paul, it, the possibility of Paul not getting that offering was very great. They had, you know, they had to walk. They had to take ships. They had a lot of hard ways to get wherever they were going to go. And they had robbers out there. They were, you know, robbing people and all this. So the possibility of Paul never, never being able to receive this offering was very good. But there are not enough demons in hell. There's not enough obstacles on planet Earth. There's not enough problems that can come your way to stop God delivering upon his promise. Because it is backed up by God, and it will be fulfilled by God. Divine. The omnipotence of God is able to take care of making sure that he knows my address. He knows my email, physical. He knows everything about me. He knows where I am. And God will deliver me. It's like when we were kids, you know, I, I know I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk out on a limb and I'm going to cut it off when I walk out on it. But when we were kids, we, were, we, we believed in this guy that wore the red suit and you know, the beard and all that stuff. And we would go somewhere. We didn't go far. We were uh, kind of like Roanoke, Alabama, Teleco Plains, Tennessee. You don't go far. But if we were just going over to our cousin's house or something like that, oh, we got to get back home because that guy, that guy, he won't know where we're at. And he's going, oh, we all, we were, me, we, me and my brother Doug, we were all tore up. We got to get back. We got to get back home, you know. Oh, listen, he knows where I am. You can't take a journey and, 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 lose, lose, and God lose you. He knows where you are. So when you're needing something, friend, now you got to remember tonight that um, the promises that God has, has given to us, we're a heavenly people with heavenly promises. But while we serve him here, God says, I want you to know I will take care of you here. We're not going to get rich. Our, everything for the child of God is on the other side, the other side. But while I'm here, God's going to take care of me. He's going to make sure my needs are met. Hey, I serve the king. We're not paupers. We're not beggars. We serve the king. We serve the king. We could probably all get up and talk about how God has blessed us and what God's done for us, and I'm not going to do that tonight. But just simply to say, God will take care of us. You know what we need? We just need trust. You know what we need? We just need obedience. You know what we need? We just need some people that are willing to obey God, trust God, go out and do it. That's what we need.